I told you we were fixing to start our, our series on our journey to possession. Our journey to possession, to possess the land that God had intended. We're going to use uh, the children of Israel coming out of bondage and going into the promised land. And what we're going to do is just look at those areas in which God needed them to change that God needed them to see life differently for them to be able to walk in and possess the land. Now, in the New Testament, it's different because for us to possess Canaan, Canaan for them was an actual land that had grapes and houses. Canaan for us is this kingdom of God. Then it's love, joy, peace, and power, and having all of this in the spirit of God. Being able to live in this land until we get to our eternal home, being able to walk through this land, live in this land, being able to overcome, being able to subdue, have dominion, to be able to be in this land to have love and peace and joy no matter what I'm going through, facing all of my trials. Uh, The ultimate goal is to show forth the glory of the Father. That's really what the kingdom of God is about. And, and the, the word for glory is cabal. And, and, and cabal literally means, if, if I could give you an illustration this morning, imagine a flower. If I hold up one flower and it's, it's all open, it's just, it's just wide open, you can see the, the red rose and it's just fragrant, it's just beautiful, okay? That means it is showing forth its glory. It's showing forth the glory that it had. Now, if I'm holding another one in this hand, and it's still in the bulb, it's still just green, and it's hard, and it's... Now, is it the same thing as the other one? Yes, they're both the same flower. The only difference is the other one has not shown forth its glory or shown you its, its weight uh, you use words in the Old Testament like showing forth its weight, showing forth its full value. So we come like this, like a bulb. We come fully ready. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. It's not something I need to get from the outside. It's in me. The problem is, is that it is not cabaled. It is not shown forth its full glory, its sure, full weight. Now, we meet people from time to time who have. If you've ever had grandmothers who've been in church or or people you've known, pastors, teachers, and you're like, man, if if I've ever met a Christian, if I've ever met someone who knew the Lord, if I, what are they doing? They're showing you their full weight. They're no different than you. They're not better than you. They're not worse than you. There's the same God in you that's in them. The difference is, is that they are showing forth the fullness of God out of their life. And that's what God wants. And so when we're studying this, we're understanding that God for Israel wants them to show forth his full glory. How are they going to do that? By going into the land and possessing the land, defeating giants and walled cities, and to show forth the glory of God to every nation. How do we do it? We do it by showing love and compassion, by showing the kingdom, by being royal ambassadors to the kingdom of God in this world and showing them how the kingdom operates. Okay, so to start this, this journey begins in one area. 
In the Old Testament, in Exodus 12 and 13, we're going to deal today with the first step of possession. And it is simply this. It is understanding Passover. It is understanding the Passover and what the Passover represents in our life that we are purchased. Look at the person beside you and said, you have been bought with a price. You have been purchased. Tell them, you have been purchased. That's, that's strange for us. That seems odd because we live in a country that doesn't deal in this. We deal with voting for what we want to do, go where we want to go, do what we want to do. But Israel would understand this very well because for 400 years, almost 430 years, they have lived under the possession of the Egyptians. They have lived under the possession of someone who has ruled over them who if they wanted to kill all of their babies, if they just said, you know what, we're going to kill all the babies two years and younger, we're just going to come in your house, take them from you, going to carry them down to the Nile, and we're just going to chunk them in the river. That's what they did. Why? Because whatever the king wanted, whatever the, the uh, king decided, that's what was going to happen. And there was nothing that could stop him. It was his possession. They were his possession. So go with me to Exodus, and let me show you something. Exodus 12, verses 7 and 8. And let's walk through this story of Passover, and then we'll relate it to what we deal with in our Christian walk. Let me give you a couple scriptures to begin with. Here's what it says. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh of that night, on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, shall they do what? Shall they eat it? Now, I don't have time this morning. I wish I did, and maybe one day I'll come back and we'll do a whole Passover meal. And we'll have the cup, and it will have four different times we will drink from it, and four different uh, praises that we will give. There's a whole, they, they've added so many things to it and changed it in so many ways to represent and to share. But in the very first one, it was pretty simple. I want you to have these elements in the house and these elements are going to describe what I want done. There is going to be a lamb. And this is why God did this. Because God said, I am fixing to set you free. I am fixing to deliver you. Up until now, I have brought locusts. I have brought blood into water. I have done everything, flies, frogs. I have brought darkness. I have done all of these different things. But Pharaoh has always hardened his heart and said, nope, not going to let you go. You, 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 you're, not, you're not strong enough to make me let you go. You're not strong enough to make me let you go. And God looks at Moses and said, now the next one that I bring, it will crack Pharaoh. The next one that I bring, he will let you go. Because I am fixing to show you my might and my strength. I am fixing to show you who I am and what I can do. And I'm going to touch from the top, the richest to the poorest. I'm going to impact everybody. Even Pharaoh's house won't be protected from what I'm fixing to bring. And what it was, was that the firstborn of everything, not, not just the children, that would be one thing if we were to say, okay, for every child, 
that's been born, the very first male child of every household will die. If you were the firstborn, I, that means if I was living in Egypt, I was a goner because I'm the first child of DeWitt Lot. I would have died that night being in, in, in Egyptian. I would have died because that was the rule. The first thing that broke the matrix, the first thing that came from the womb, the first thing that was a male child will die. It didn't matter if it was a cow. It didn't matter if it was a goat. It didn't matter if it was a pig. It didn't matter if it was a chicken. It didn't matter what it was or whatever. It was going to die that night. And it wasn't just the people that were going to suffer, but if you ever study, and it, it tickles me because I see it now from a biblical, so, so when I see things, I see it from a biblical. Have you ever noticed that all, when you talk about Egypt and you talk about all the different uh, creatures that Egypt has, it has many times a body of a man and the, and the head of a what? Like an animal. It, it'll have all this. Why? Because Egypt worshiped animals. That was their, their thing, is that animals were, were very precious, the, the strength of a bull. So I had a body of a man, but the head of a bull. I was a mentor. I was a mentor. So, so all of this different stuff that, that took place, God said, no, no, I'm not just going to touch them. I'm going to touch the thing that you think is so great and so powerful and so mighty. I'm bringing it all to its knees. There's going to be dead cows in the field. There's going to be dead animals laying in their street. There's going to be dead children in their beds. I'm going to show you who is God. Why? Because understand that this is a battle of kingdoms. It is the moment where God is fixing to establish and through the Passover to establish a covenant. In fact, he tells them even before he does this, from this moment on, the Passover will be held in your family every single year from generation to generation, and it will never end. Why? Because I want you to never forget who is king of kings and who is lord of lords. It's me. There is no God above me. And so Passover isn't just something that took place. It's a moment in life where God illustrates that there's nothing more powerful than me. So the instruments of this are very simple. There is a lamb or a male, it could be a ram. This, this male sheep, this, this male animal was to be taken and you were to roast it on fire, hooves, everything completely. And when you did, it was to be known that, okay, we brought this animal in. It has to be completely consumed. There can be nothing left of it. Or in the morning, if there is anything left of it, you burn it completely. There is no, there is no extra. There is no, hey, we're going to take the leftovers over to grandma's house. This was simply to illustrate that only in the house, only through Christ, only through this will there be salvation. So this is the decree that God had given. He said that on this night, the 14th night, I'm going to do something. That death angel is going to pass over, and that's when the, the deaths will take place. I want you to go into your house, and when you go into your house, you take the ram that you've cooked. You set it on the table in front of all the family. The second part of that is the blood that comes from the ram. He said, I want you to take the blood that came from it, the drained blood that you had from that animal before you roasted it, and I want you to take 
hyssop. I want you to take this, this plant material and I want you to sprinkle and I want you to streak the lintel, which is the bar across, and I want you to streak both posts with blood to represent that this house belongs to the Lord. And you do not come out of the house. Don't go out if you hear screaming. Don't go out if you hear problems going on. You don't move. You stay in the house. And while in the house, you consume through the night. You eat. And you eat this, this animal completely. If there's another house that doesn't have enough to have one, you invite them over and you all gather in the house and you eat the, the ram together. Now, in, as time would go on, they don't have to put blood over the lentil but they changed it and turned it into a cup of wine. By Jesus' time, what do they have? They have a cup of wine, a grape juice. And in that cup, that represented the blood that was used. So you had the roasted lamb. Now later, even later, by Jesus' time, sacrifice was ended. And in later... Jews, even today, they don't use an actual ram. They take the bone of a lamb and lay it there because there is no temple sacrifice anymore. So therefore, there is no sacrificial lambs. And I, here again, I, I don't want to get bogged down in this. We could, we could talk about this for a while. But I'm not here to be a, a history teacher. So in this sitting, you've got the ram, the blood on the outside. The next thing that you had was bitter herbs. Bitter herbs were to remind you. Now, in our modern day, they grade horseradish. They take the horseradish root and they grade it. Me, I do it every time I eat oysters. I'm, I'm always celebrating Passover, I guess, because I love horseradish sauce. But they take fresh horseradish and grade it. So you can imagine when you grab it, and I know... I'm a, I'm a big horseradish person, so you grab that and take a bite of that. I'm going to tell you, it will clean your nostrils. It will, it will light your, your, your nose on fire. It's like your eyes will water, and it will be like, ooh. But it's supposed to be bitter. It's supposed to be an herb that you're like, oh. Why? Because the bondage in Egypt was bitter. It's to represent a memory that, hey, we went through a lot of bad stuff. We went through a lot of bad times. Egypt was harsh to us. We had to make bricks. We had to do all manner of labor. We were beaten. It was, it was horrible what they did to our children. It was horrible. It was a bad time. And so we remember what he had brought us from. And then there was the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread represented a sinless Life or someone who was upright, someone who had lived right. So therefore, there was no leaven in the house. Now, I know now they play games with it and do things in Jewish homes. They hide leaven because for seven days you can't, and they'll hide the leaven somewhere, and a child is supposed to look around and try to find the leaven in the house and make sure there's no leaven, yeast. There's no yeast in the house. Only the unleavened bread will be eaten. And that's to represent purity, that there's nothing inside, nothing contaminated, no sin inside the person. Why is this important, Brother Lot? Why did God choose to do all of this this night? Why didn't he just say, hey, tomorrow, 
I'm going to show up and I'm going to scare the bejeebies out of Pharaoh. And he's going to let you go. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to walk up in that, in that castle and I'm going to make sure when I get through with Pharaoh, you ain't going to have to worry. He will let you go. Why, why did God go through all of this? Why did he create the Passover and, and, and all of the sacrificial lamp? And because God is doing something bigger than just delivering Israel from Egypt. God is doing something mightier than just simply trying to deliver them from this. He is trying to establish in them a kingdom mindset. He is trying to establish inside of Israel the true king. The only way he can prove that I am the true king is that he must destroy the kingdom that is. He must be stronger than that kingdom. If he's not, then there is no use in trying to say, hey, we're going to trust God. We're going to depend on God. And God has done all of these smaller things and all of these things, but it is not enough yet to make Pharaoh say, you're greater than me, you're stronger than me, and I can't fight with you. And God says that when I'm through this time, don't you worry, Pharaoh will finally admit that he cannot stand before me. So that night, the death angel comes. And just as God says, they could hear screaming. But all of the houses that had the blood on the outer post, the death angel would pass over. That's where we get Passover. The death angel would pass over them and would not harm them because they were citizens now. They were bought by the blood of a lamb in the kingdom of God and out of the kingdom of bondage. That's what it's to represent, is that they were bought that night by the blood of a lamb, their freedom, that God had provided, that God had given. This has been God's plan all along. God's plan from the very beginning was to establish his kingdom. In fact, in the very beginning, his kingdom was established. Let me, let me explain kingdom to you a little bit before I kind of go into catching you up in the New Testament version of this. Is that okay? I know I'm teaching a little bit, but this is very important. God calls himself, Jesus calls himself King of Kings. And he calls himself Lord of Lords. What that means is he is the one who has established every kingdom that has ever been. He is the one who reigns over every kingdom that ever reigns. This is why Jesus, when he is, when, when he is confronted on the night that he himself will die, remember the Jewish leaders, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, take him by night and carry him to some little court some religious court that they have set up at, at Caiaphas's house. So it is a religious court. It is a court of religion. And so at Caiaphas' house, they, they tell him, hey, speak to us. Tell us, tell us who hit you when they, when they slap him while he's blindfolded, when they pull his beard, when they, when they mock him, when they make fun of him. If, if you are this, defend yourself, do something. He, the Bible says he says nothing. Why does he not say anything? Why does he not do anything? Look at the person beside you and say, wrong courtroom. 
It's the wrong courtroom. Jesus was never religious. Jesus was never religious. Jesus never joined the Pharisees. Jesus never joined the Sanhedrin. Jesus never became, went through any, any of their, their political part of becoming part of a member of their group. Jesus was never about membership into some group. Jesus was about the kingdom. From the very moment he preached the very first time, what does he tell, say? Go out and tell them that the kingdom of God is at... He didn't say, hey, go preach and we're fixing to start a whole new religion we're fixed to start a whole new, new culture. We're fixed to start a whole new, we're going to call ourselves a church of the most high and this, this, this. No, he never started a church. The church is simply the citizens of the body of God. So Jesus then that night doesn't answer himself only when they say, look, I adjure you by God. That's what they said. I adjure you by God to answer this question. Are you the son of God. And it's the only time when he said, I adjure you by God, does Jesus look and say, I am. Of course, they surrender their clothes. We don't need to hear anymore. Do you know the only time he does talk is when he stands before Pilate. When he stands before Pilate and Pilate asks him a question and says, are you a king? He answers him because he's in the right courtroom. Oh, I wish you understood that. When you ask religious questions to God, God's not going to answer you because God's not into religion. So when you get to debate, or the Baptist right, or the Methodist right, or the Church of God right, or this people right, that part, God's not going to be any part of it. God's not going to be any part. God's only going to be a part when you talk about kingdom. Because God is a governing God. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's not the head of the church. And when you talk about it like an organization. So only when Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And he looks at him and he says, you say that I am. And he says, hold on. No, no. He, said, he said, look, let's talk. And Jesus answers him. He said, yes, I am. But don't worry, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my people would have rose up and have defended me already. But I am a king. And only when Pilate looks at Jesus and says, do you not know that I have the power to kill you, the power? And Jesus corrects him and says, uh uh whoa, whoa, you're not king of kings. He corrects him and says, you only have the power in which my father hath given to you. It's the only time because he's in a courtroom that he can defend and talk and debate because one king is talking to another king. One ruler is talking to another ruler. And many times we fail to understand that we want to have these conversations with God. We want to have these conversations with Jesus and about Jesus. But the problem is we want to talk like peasants and we want to talk like people who are not part of the kingdom and beg God and cry and plead and, and moan and complain. Guess what we're going to learn about Israel all through this journey we're going to go through? What do they do every time they're in a problem? 
They complain, moan, we need to go back. God don't love us no more. We just brought us here to die. They do what everybody else does. Why did God put them through all of this? He put them through this so that they would become a kingdom of priests, representing as ambassadors the God Almighty, so that they could walk into every situation and every circumstance and be overcomers and be victorious and realize in their identity who they are. Oh, I wish you under man. So listen to me. So he created heaven and earth, but he wanted to expand his kingdom. Every kingdom wants to expand. So what does God do? He creates man. He creates kings. When he created man, he created kings. He is the king of kings because man has dominion and rulership over this world. We didn't evolve The hair didn't fall all off us one day. We were created by God to have rule and dominion. Adam gave that away. When Adam fell, it wasn't that he just sinned, it's that he gave away the dominion that he once had and lost it to another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And God is showing right here in illustration what I'm eventually going to do in the future. Because he even tells Satan that day in the garden, what does he say? You will bruise his heel, but there's one that's coming forth out of woman. Don't worry, he's coming forth out of a woman, and you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise or he will crush your head. He will destroy your power and authority. And so in the Old Testament, we get a picture of what the New Testament reveals in reality. So what we're seeing in this story is Israel who is in bondage to sin. Israel who is locked up. The most powerful force on the earth. Chariots, unnumberable. War machines. All these things they have. They have enormous armies. There's no way to defeat them. There's no way to get away from them. There's no way you're not strong enough. So when somebody comes along and says, but brother Lot, I've been a drug addict for 20 years. You don't realize how strong cocaine is. You don't realize how strong the neck nicotine is. You don't understand how strong alcohol is. Brother Lot, I come from a messed up family. You don't realize how how messed up we were. You don't realize what I came from. You don't realize. No, I've come by to tell you that there's one who's come along and says, I'm greater than the greatest. I'm stronger than the strongest. I'm mightier than the mightiest. I am the one who reigns as king over all. Quit using the excuse that Egypt is unbreakable. God says, by morning, you'll see them on their knees. By morning, you'll find out. So when we talk about a kingdom, listen to me very carefully. A kingdom is established by its concepts, its laws, its principles, what we call keys. So when I'm living in a kingdom, it is not grudgery for me to do what the king is saying because what it's producing in me is keys. What did Jesus tell the disciples? He said, when I go, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, they're not keys like you hold on. They're not keys. You walk up to something like, I'm going to unlock it. 
No, they're principles. He says, if you do what I've asked you to do, if you live the way I've asked you to live, and that's a whole other story in the reason why the church today has no power, no authority, no, we don't see anything hardly in most churches. It's because we have chose to believe God will save us, but we do not want to live by his principles And therefore, we do not have keys to be able to overcome the issues that are happening in our life. That's what's happening. Because it's the keys of the kingdom. It's understanding the laws of the kingdom, understanding the principles of the kingdom, understanding the concept of the kingdom. So this is why God, when he shows up to introduce himself to Pharaoh, to introduce himself to Israel and says, I am going to be your God, what does he do? He says, I am that I am. I am that I am. That's, that's, that's who you're going to know me by, by my concepts, by my principles, by my laws, and this is the way it's going to go. So listen to me. So we then have a problem just like Israel had a problem. Israel's problem was is that it was used to the cucumbers, the leeks. Remember when they'd ever get in trouble, they said, Oh, to go back and eat the leeks and to have the cucumbers. And, oh, man, we had fresh water back where we were at. And we had, go with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6. I'm going to read something for you. Matthew 6, 31 through 34. So if I'm going to live by the concepts, if I'm going to live by the principles, if I'm going to live by what God has called me to live by, to get the keys to the kingdom. Israel was given things that they were told that they must do. But listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we, what shall we, or what shall we? What happened to Israel in the desert? Did God supply all of their, did God supply water for them? Did he supply food for them? What did the story say about their clothes? It said they wandered in a desert for 40 years and their shoes didn't even wear out. Jesus in the New Testament is telling you the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. But here's what you have to do that Israel had to do. Therefore, do not worry anymore, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles or the heathens seek after. So so if you're wanting to know if you got God or you're not really close to God, it's real simple. What do you worry about? You worried about what you're wearing? You worried about what you're driving? You worried about what you live in? You worried about... If that's the center of your life, if that's what you're worrying about, you're just a heathen. That's all. You're not part of the kingdom. Oh, but Brother Lot, I asked Jesus to forgive me. Well, that's wonderful, but you're still in Egypt. You're still stuck in Egypt. You're still in bondage. We've gotten to this mindset, well, if I just ask him to forgive me. No, no, no. It is not just forgive. It's swapping kingdoms. You won't even be able to pray good if you don't swap kingdoms. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom, thy will be done. You can't even pray if you don't understand the kingdom. The kingdom is centered to everything that you do. Every aspect of your life is built around the kingdom. And what you have to come out of and what you have to denounce and what you have to be able to say, I'm not going to stress or worry about it anymore is the things that I eat, the things that I drink, the way that I live, how much what so-and-so thinks about me, what they say about me on Facebook, all this kind of stuff. The more of that you break, the more kingdom you become. For all these things the Gentiles seek for, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And there are two things, two principles in which you must seek. The same thing Israel will be asked to do. Here's what they are. But seek first. Look at the person beside you and ask them, are you seeking the kingdom more than anything else in your life? Because if Jesus said, there's only two things I need you to do, then really it's pretty simple. There's only two things you need to do, right? Oh, no, I got my grass to mow and I got... There isn't but two things you really got to do. Number one, seek the kingdom. What does that mean, Brother Lot? What does it mean to seek the kingdom? What it means to study, to pursue, to know his ways to know what the king asks, what the king likes, what the king wants. It allows you in those principles and those laws, not that I'm using those laws to earn anything from God. God already owns it. But what I'm doing is I'm living that because in the kingdom, I am a representative of the kingdom. I believe in the kingdom. He is my heavenly father, and therefore I am an ambassador for the kingdom. I am living it out. And what it does is it empowers me with keys to be able to do things that I could not do in my own. What we do is we say, God, if you would empower me and help me get out of this, then I would do those things. God says, no, you do those things and it releases the kingdom in your life. So you seek first the kingdom of God and then secondly, you seek something else. What is it? His righteousness. His righteousness. Now, I know we think of righteousness, we, we think of it in religious terms, but Jesus is not using this in a religious term. Let, let me give it to you in, in this form. If, uh, if you go toward town and there, there's a red light heading toward town and you see and you're driving up and all of a sudden that thing turns red, what do you do? Do you look to see if anybody's coming either way and run it? Or do you stop because it's red? The governing powers have given you three different lights, a green Yellow means go fast because it's fixing to change, right? No, it really means start slowing down. And red, if you get and it's red, it means you had better stop. If I do what it's asked me to do, if I come up and it's red and I put on my brakes and I stop, I have acted righteously. That's what that means. I have done a righteous act. You ever hear like old terms, he has, he has done a righteous act. 
That's what it means. He did the right thing. Now, if I run the red light, I have acted unrighteously. I have broken the law. I have gone against the system that exists. And Jesus said, only two things you need to do to move your life forward. Here's what he says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And notice what happens the moment you do this. It doesn't matter if you're in Egypt. It doesn't matter if you're in bondage. It doesn't matter if you have an addiction. It doesn't matter if you have been depressed and you can't break depression. It doesn't matter what you're going through or what you're in and what you're stuck with. Whatever the enemy has brought, can I give you some good news? If you'll seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things that you need and have need of shall be what? Shall be added to you. Doesn't mean you go get them. Because that's the kingdom's responsibility. Doesn't mean you have to fight for them. That's the kingdom's responsibility. Let me see if I can explain it this way. A kingdom is not a religion. The kingdom of God is not all seasons. It's not the Baptist organization. It's not the Methodist organization. It's not. The kingdom of God is none of this stuff. It's not religion. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's it's not up for vote. Oh, let me see if I can explain it. This is why we're having so much problems in our churches today, because we have a democratic mindset and we were given a Bible. So what have we done in a democratic mindset with a Bible? Do what? We rewrote it because we can do that. We live in a different culture. We live in a different time. So therefore, I don't believe God really meant that. We're going to exclude that part from the Bible in our rainbow Bible now. We're going to, we're going to write it the way we think it. Oh, and we're going to take all the masculine part. We, won't, we don't want God to say, he said. We, we want it to say, and, and God or, or it or something because, because we don't want. Can I, can I break something to you? It's not a democracy. It's not up for your vote. It is the will of the one who is in control. Let me give you what the kingdom of God is. It is the overpowering influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his purpose and his will, producing a citizenry that expresses his culture and reflects his nature or his glory. This is what a kingdom is. When God was calling Israel out through the Passover, he said, what I'm doing is I am creating a nation that represents me. You are a chosen people. I have picked you out. And you will represent me, the king, You will represent me on the earth the way I want the earth to see me. And when you don't do that, then that's when you're going to have the biggest problems that you have in your life. So, now, 
going to the New Testament. If we had time, we would go to Matthew 26. We would go to Luke. We would go to John 13. And what I would show you is the Passover now that is done in Jesus' time. The Passover of their time was to decree that God is God and God will come through, and God did. God came through. God delivered them. God set them free. It's Pharaoh woke up the next morning, get your stuff and go. They even got stuff that wasn't theirs. They borrowed stuff from the Egyptians. And the Bible says they just, they just had a loot, man. They, they, they loaded up and headed out of town. Well, what does that mean for us in the New Testament? Well, Jesus is at Passover. It's not an accident. For, from the 10th to the 14th, they were told, this is when you put the ram and you inspect him every day, and you find out, does he have any blemishes? From the 10th to the 14th, Jesus went to the temple every single day, healing, doing miracles, to the point that the Bible said that when he had finally finished, they asked him no more questions. They found no flaw. So there on Passover night, he is with his 12 disciples. They are just celebrating it like they have every year, thinking, oh, this is so cool. We got the, we got the unleavened bread. We've got all this. We got... They go and they begin the celebration. There is the first cup they drink. The second cup is the cup of sin, repentance. This is when Jesus looks over and says, one of you will betray me before morning. Each one of these are significant of bitterness, of sin. During this, he will say, I'm going to give you a new covenant, a new commandment. Love one another. During this last Passover, he will get to the fourth time to drink. The fourth is the time when you celebrate God's complete redemption, God's complete, complete salvation. In fact, even in Jewish custom now, one of the children will go to the door and will open the door and look outside. You know why? Because it's symbolic of they're waiting for Elijah to come back. Jesus doesn't send a child to the door. Jesus holds up the cup in the last drink of the night. And he says, I cannot drink this one. He said, but I make you a promise. I will drink this cup when I am with you all standing around the throne room of God and we will celebrate it together. He doesn't drink the fourth. He takes the bread. He breaks the bread. He says, this is my body. You have been celebrating this all these years, but that in the cup, that doesn't represent ram's blood. It represents my blood. You've been breaking bread, unleavened bread, but it's not the fact that there's no sin in the house. I am the unleavened bread. There is no sin in me. The only bitterness will be the bitterness I take, the betrayal that I have to endure, the pain that I have to go through so that you don't have to. All of this was done so that God could purchase you. Let me give you a couple scriptures, and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. 
Jesus' whole purpose was to establish a kingdom, to purchase back what had been lost by Adam. Go in your Bibles. Go to Exodus 15, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to kind of say what this is. Exodus 15, 13 through 18 is the song of Moses when they finally get to the other side of the Red Sea. Pharaoh has been destroyed. His chariots have been drowned. The horsemen have died. The children of Israel are on the other side. And God tells them, you will not ever see Pharaoh no more. He didn't mean that you wouldn't run into Egypt. He said, but you will never be in that bondage ever again. I broke and destroyed that bondage. And Moses, when he gets to the other side, begins to sing. He talks about the greatness of God and he talks about the power of God. But let me show you what he closes by saying. And this is so powerful. You, in your mercy, have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. That's why later in the New Testament it says, you have not done this you have not saved yourself or you have not, not by works of anything, but simply by the grace of God that he has called you out and has saved you. You have been redeemed by his power, not yours. Listen, for your mercies have led us forth whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. How do you know, Brother Lot? Because go with me to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Here's what it says. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the... There is no weapon, no enemy that is stronger than you. There is no disease, there is no problem, there is nothing you will ever face that will be stronger than you because greater is he that is in you than anything that's in this world. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God, and you are not your, not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify, there's that word. Take the hard bulb that isn't open. Take that part of you that keeps in a shell and says, well, that's mine. I can do it. No, no. It belongs to the Lord. And glorify God. Show the weight 
of what God is. Show the magnitude of God through your life. Show the significance. Don't don't live like this. But live with full fragrance. With full authority. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your which are God's. I'm going to say this to you. You can go no further in your journey. You can spend the rest of your life sitting where you are, coming to church, whining about your problems, whining about your life, whining about where you were raised, whining about your past, whining about your problems, whining about your addictions, whining about... Or you can finally come to the understanding that you are not your own. It is not you that will overcome. It's not you that will defeat giants. It's not you that will destroy Jerichos. It's not you that will get through into Canaan. It's not you. But the first thing that you have to understand is that I belong to the Lord. There is no weapon that will ever be formed that will stop me from accomplishing what God intended for my life. It is my destiny. It is my calling. It is my heritage. I am a child of God. Let me give it to you one more way. Churches have members. You are never a member of God's family. You are a citizen of God's heaven. You are a citizen. You are part of a royal family. And the first step on your journey... Whoever you are in this room, I can go no further than to start with Passover where God has broke the chains and broke the bondage and you now need to come to grips that you are free. You are not what you were. You say, but I still have... That's okay because greater is what's in you and it will keep pushing out what doesn't belong. I use this phrase all the time, and I'll just... Lions don't eat turnip greens. That's my favorite phrases I've ever said in my life. And it's worked for me all my life. Lions don't eat turnip greens. You can put them in front of lions. I'm a lion, and I don't eat that stuff. It's not in my nature. It's not who I am. If you become what you're supposed to be, God has transformed your nature... You won't eat what you used to eat and drink what you used to drink and say what you used to say. It's not that I'm trying to do it to impress God. That's a member. But I'm doing it because it's who I am. That's a citizen. Will you stand? If you're in this place today, I want to ask you a just a very serious question. It's probably been asked to you a thousand times, and you really probably don't even think about it. You just, uh, uh. I don't want you to really think this time. I want you to really, really think hard. And I want you to look at your life, and I want you to look to where you are, and I want to look at 
how you live, and where you're situated. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Are you saved? Did you hear me? Are you saved? Oh, yeah, bro, Lord, I did. You can't still be sitting making bricks. You can't still be in bondage. You can't still be a, ma a, a servant to all the masters in your life of all the things that yank your chain and tell you what to do and you can't go free. The word saved means that you have been saved. It doesn't mean you just confess salvation. It actually means that God has taken you out of where you were and saved. If you were on a desert island and I saved you, what would I do? Bring you a glass of water? No, I would take you off the desert island and put you somewhere good. And maybe a thousand times you said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. But I want to ask you seriously. Have you ever allowed God to save you? Well, how do I do that, Brother Lot? You do that by renouncing the kingdoms of this world. You do that by renouncing the things of this world, its systems, the things you lust for, the things you desire, the things you think will make your life better. And you accept the fact that there is one who is king of kings and he is lord of lords of all. And nobody questions his word and nobody overpowers him. And I accept him as the one who reigns and rules my life. I accept him as the one that if he speaks, I do. From this day I will seek his kingdom and I will pursue his righteousness and it will become the thrust of my life. From that I will see all the things that I long to see my life produce. you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, that's what I need to do. The strong man has been in my house. The strong man has, has tore my house to pieces. And Jesus said, unless one stronger than the strong man comes in and binds him, things don't change. Somebody stronger than the strong man I'm not pursuing a religion, I'm pursuing a person. And I'm crying, Jesus, come into my life and be the strong man and be the king and be the ruler and be the one who reigns. Oh, you already do, I just haven't accepted it. But today I accept it that you reign and you rule. 
presidents may come and go, congressmen may come and go, America may come and go, everything that I think is normal may come and go, but you aren't going anywhere. If that's you in this room, then I want you to step out from where you are and I want you to acknowledge him. I want you to make your way down here. Find you a place to kneel. Tell him face to face, God, you are a God. You alone reign. You are the one that I will serve. You are the one that I will put first in my life. It is not just forgive me, I messed up. It's not just I I do a few bad things. It's that I am a sinner that's in need of salvation. I am in bondage of Egypt and I need you to deliver me. And I need a strong God with a strong hand to deliver me out of this that I'm in that's you and why would you wait another second why would you live in Egypt another moment why would you go home today and try to hide that life another day hoping nobody will find out when God says why don't you just Let it die today. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There's one story that comes to mind I need to tell you right quick. You know the greatest faith that Jesus ever experienced? The greatest faith that Jesus ever experienced, I preached some of it the other night. But it wasn't even a Jew. It wasn't even a religious person. It was a Roman centurion. And you know why his faith was so great? Because he understood rulers. He understood kings. And the centurion told Jesus, he said, I am a man of authority and under authority. He didn't say I was a member of a church. He didn't say, he just said, I understand authority. He said, I tell one to go and he goes. And I tell another to stay and he stays. And he said, I know this much that you are a king. And if you say to one, go, it'll go. And if you tell one to stay, it'll stay. All I need you to do is say, my servant will be okay. And guess what? It'll happen. Jesus said, I marveled. I have never seen so much faith. Why? Because he understood. He understood. This morning, if you can understand, that king is here, and he's here to speak on your behalf, to set you free, to deliver you. It is where the journey begins. You can't go through a desert unless you know the God that you serve can get you through it. You got to know that you can trust him and depend. You got to know this morning. Don't let nothing else reign. Don't let anything else have power. Let him be God. Let him be King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, this morning, for every person here, they don't have to beg and they don't have to plead at this altar. They don't have to, they just have to ask. Just ask if there's anything that is holding them back, anything that is causing them not to be 
glorious like they were called to be. Anything that's keeping them from being fully weighted, fully opened. Father, whatever it is, I speak that in the name of Jesus, what's in them is greater than what's pushing against them. And that I declare right now in Jesus' name that they are free, free from what has bound them, tormented, worried, scared. I declare it broken. And that when they rise, they rise free. As free as Israel was when it left Egypt. As free as we are through the blood of Jesus who sets us free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. May the Lord bless you. If you get a chance, just give that old devil fits this week.